0: My pappy said, son, you're going to drive me to drinking if you don't stop driving that hot rod Lincoln. Lots to unpack after another week in the desert, including is the racing really that much better on a shorter track? We'll talk about how the race unfolded. Is Kyle's quest to 200 the same as Richard Petty's? And we're going to talk about the big fight on pit road as well as an emerging IndyCar star. This is five to go. They arrested me and they put me in jail and they called my pappy to throw my bail and he said, "Son, you're gonna drive me to drinkin' if you don't stop driving that." Rod, Rod, Lincoln. Welcome back, welcome back. Already four races in the book in the Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series season and the Xfinity Series seasons, by the way. Doug Fireball Turnbull here. This is 5 to Go, your weekly racing podcast based out of the WSB radio studios here in Atlanta and this also can be found on Performance Racing Network's homepage, Uh, goprn.com I'm part of the traffic team here at WSB. I get to moonlight as an announcer sometimes on the Performance Racing Network and I'm joined by a guy that is best in the sunlight because the moonlight's when he's sleeping getting ready for his early morning Von Hessler Doctrine here on WSB from 9 to noon every week Mr. Man Eric Von Hessler how you doing sir I'm doing well and joining us from the place where moonshine is made but even better where history is made and where they make things go faster that's the master mechanic Dawsonville Dan Elliott how you doing buddy
1: Doing great. Y'all have a great weekend. I know the weather yesterday after it cleared off was absolutely awesome.
0: It sure was. Yeah. yeah I How saw about you? It.
2: I saw it from the inside of my house out of my window. I thought, that's a nice day. I had to go out there. But I didn't. But <laughs> yeah. uh I appreciated the day. I just wasn't in it.
0: And, um, and Dan, what did you do this weekend up there in the mountains?
1: uh Actually, I worked on the Trans and Daniels pickup. I've just about got that thing completed and drove it over the weekend. And. Um, it is my prototype I'm working on, and so far, so good. And um, we'll have an update as soon as I can tell you more about it.
0: I, I, when I work on things, it's usually an anti type, it doesn't get to proto. I'm, it I'm usually get to proto, it's the opposite yeah. of type by the time I'm done. Oh, that was supposed to be a bookshelf. It's <laughs> now it's now a counter. That's, <laughs> it's, that's it's, a oh, time. Yeah. So
1: it's kind of like the cabinet on Friends. You can build the cabinet, but you might not be able to go through the door. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, <laughs> exactly it.
0: Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, i, I saw apollo 11
2: what? which is cool it's just a, a nasa it's a movie that's only nasa footage from going to the moon for the first time and coming food uh, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no but it was cool it's it, n- no dan's narr- got yeah. dick's lessia
1: yeah. so. <laughs> no no uh, i am left-handed
2: so <laughs> <laughs> no narration Really? It was, it's just embedded so where, into where can all you find the NASA. That? Well, I went and saw it at Atlantic Station. I think it's it'll be available. You know. Oh, okay. To download. My son saw it in IMAX. I thought I was going to see it in IMAX, and it was in the other theater because uh, Captain Marvel had moved in to the IMAX. But there was a moment that I, I did find kind of funny that that the is Cap- that
1: Doug's brother Captain Marvel. It is. Yeah. Yes,
2: he was featured. Yeah. So the, so this Captain Marvel movie. <laughs> the whole theater, like that, was huge. The whole theater was full, and then the movie I was in, Apollo 11, it wasn't even half full. And I thought, hey, you know, over here, this is something that we did. <laughs> we right, actually right. did this. Is not a fantasy, but. That was enjoyable.
0: So uh, I, Apollo I thought, 11 was the, the moon landing one, was right? was the, the, yeah. the first moon landing. The first moon landing. Uh, what.
2: what did you do this week?
0: What did I do? Let's see. So I did almost nothing on Saturday, which I needed to do after being at the racetrack three days. But I went to go see, and I don't know if you saw any emails or things on Facebook about this area, but our coworker Tanya Freeman, who works in the sales department, one of the sales assistants was a co-star in this play in the Marietta Square, and I, I took my mom to go see it. Man, how and was it, it? And it was called The Mountaintop, and it's about it's, – it's – uh, an extrapolation of what Martin Luther King's last night alive might have oh, been really? like, well, and it's a dialogue. It is literally Martin Luther King, and then Tanya, who's a cleaning lady, and it showed the imperfect man that MLK was and what he wrestled with. And it turned out at the end that she was an angel telling him well, it was his fall time. It now. don't yeah. fall Well, it. Yeah. I mean, I'm, it's not showing anymore at the theater, so it's <laughs> was that it, one night only. <laughs> it, it, was, it, was, no, it was no, I saw it the second to last night. It was there. Oh, okay. So that's the yeah. But, but our but, friend was good. But, but Tanya was amazing. Oh, great. She she I I'm sitting there i literally am about to go up to her and be like how do you do this job and be so good at that as your side thing well,
2: that, well now you know what <laughs> she'd rather be doing
0: what, oh i think so and, she, <laughs> and she's been in a lot of plays so pro, props to tanya freeman if any of y'all get to go see the mountaintop later on it, it's fantastic So uh i think it's a play yeah let let, are uh, ruin the yeah part. yeah i'll spoil the alert here's what happened to mlk <laughs> so no so um, <laughs> i'm <laughs> anyway. sure
2: it stops before
0: then right it's yes, yeah. yeah. It it's stopped. the night before. It's the night before. Yeah. Yes. So it's really an incredible. Uh, it's just an incredible to, to for had any play to me, even if it's a bad play that has two people and they're the only ones for an hour and a half. You got to be doing something. It's got to be written well and acted well. It definitely has to be written well. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and this act, one, you're right. Both. This one was. I was yeah. captivated the whole time. So that was, that was sort of my weekend. Then yesterday, you know, went racing, and so at Phoenix International uh, Raceway, that's where NASCAR ran. Uh, kind of before we get into that, I wanted to bring up something it's not it's maybe not lead worthy because this is normally a nascar podcast but two things from the open wheel world number one you mentioned documentary i would apollo 11 i guess that would be class since it was all real footage documentary documentary. okay so there's a new formula one documentary on netflix and i was so impressed by it i put it multiple times on social media it's like oh my god where has this been and it essentially follows the 2018 racing season and i haven't finished it because it's a docu-series and so it's not just two hours or one and a half. So it is followed now pretty much everybody of importance in Formula One to where I've gotten to it, except for the Mercedes teams yet. I don't know if they didn't participate or if they're just later on. Mm-hmm. But Mercedes and Ferrari have kind of been left out. It's Red Bull, so that'd be Daniel Ricciardo, Max Verstappen, the Renault teams, which last year were Carlos Sainz Jr. and and several others. Right. And it's following how much how how much effort is put into each season and, and the the subtitle is, it's called Formula One, and then it's Drive to Survive. And even though we're talking about million-dollar teams and pampered people and all, it shows how raw everybody is and how they all feel like it's life or death every day, especially if you're drivers. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the tension between Red Bull and Renault about the the engines mm-hmm. and then and then renault goes out and i mean this is no secret renault goes out and gets daniel ricardo from red bull as a free agent right after red bull decides to say well right. f you to, to yeah, well, I can't it remember. was something
2: uh, they were losing a lot of engines early yeah. in the year they were, were under power and, yeah. and, and and ricardo right.
0: lost uh at least one right? i mean i can't remember the whole season but he's no and, and i do
2: remember i watched i, I kind of checked out of f1 last year somewhere around the middle or, or after hamilton the, had it wrapped up of the season uh, but I do remember, it might have been uh, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, I think there were two or three races out of the first four or five that he ended up not finishing the
0: race. And let's not forget the tension I, in Red Bull. Don't hold me to that, but I remember there being trouble. Uh, don't, let's not forget the tension in Red Bull, by the way, because they signed Max Verstappen, who is still only 20, 21 years old, to a massive contract, and it started to become apparent that he was the guy, and Ricciardo was the other guy. But yeah. Ricciardo, he and Fernando Alonso were kind of regarded as the most underrated, greatest driver in the series and so yeah. it, they follow alonzo around and it, it's it is fantastic and they are so I, I don't know if they're staging this it's it's like reality TV, but they are talking in ways that i never hear nascar drivers talk ever even when right. they when you talk to them, and the recorders turned off and, mm-hmm. and you're just kind of bsing around because they know okay this guy's a media guy we're not going to tell him too much and I just sort of like that Formula One or the teams or both were okay with playing up that drama because it were all real things. And I think it's something that our sport's missing.
2: Well, I think Formula One realized it's something their sport was missing as well. Okay. There was no, you know, there was no, uh, uh, it, the drivers are very, uh, they don't mingle with with no. the regular people at all and after i think that they realize yeah they don't
1: mingle with the common folk yeah they, do
2: they don't yeah not 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 at all and i think that they recognize f1 recognizes that they need to break down kind that wall. one
1: like n one Yeah. <laughs> well, right. right. So but we I mean, know, that's, what that's NAS- the one
2: thing on NASCAR is, you know, I don't care whose autograph you have. It's worthless because getting autographs has always been easy. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, NASCAR has always said that's part of your job. You got to go deal with the people. F1 has not done that.
0: The other thing that this documentary sheds light on. So, it's there's so many things I want to talk about this week, but I I have felt like, and I want to save this for another week. And we talked about it last year that the TV coverage leaves something on the table in NASCAR and how they cover the race. It's it, to me, it's too zoomed in. They're talking too much about only the leaders. They're not covering a good battle for 15th because they're like, hey, the people only want to hear about the stars. I thought I get You were it. A
1: part of that, and I
0: am a part of it. And that's yeah. the thing is I get sucked into that. And and on radio, it's a little different because you're not having to show it, and we get to make up for what we're not showing by describing it. So when I'm a turn announcer, if I see a good for seventh, right. We're, we have license you to talk about it. it. Yeah. But when everything settles down, it's sort of like, and so and so is leading. I did an aggression when I was the track announcer there, Dan. It's if everything's spread out, you talk about the leaders. But in this F1 series, you can't even really tell. It's because it's not going chronologically, just race to race. It kind of jumps back and forth within the similar time periods, and they they do a great job with the cinematography and the post production of really putting you almost in the race car. So if you are listening to this and you have an ability with Netflix to watch this documentary, do it with the surround. I don't have surround sound and all that all right. fancy stuff, but do it with all the accoutrements that come with your television because it really they really do a good job of selling the drama, and that's something It's not a live broadcast. I think that's something that NASCAR could do better as they market the sport without being melodramatic. I
2: agree, but, before, but I, will, I will say this, though. I do think that uh, I like the tweaks that Fox has made to their coverage, it, I like point uh,
0: some out. I've only watched it for the first time this past well, I week. Like so. the, I like I uh,
2: like getting rid of the Hollywood Hotel, having yeah. the group back in Charlotte. I think that gives them some perspective. They're away from the track, uh, so when you go to them, it's a it's a, it's a little different. Uh, they're doing interesting things. I notice things like this, but they're doing interesting things with the cameras where they're putting them on the on the pre-race show. There was a tracking shot. As they went down, uh, Jamie Little came into the shot in the foreground. Gave you, she was the last one on pit road. Gave you the, uh, the the you know her her report. And then as she was done in the background, uh, Daryl, Jeff, and Adam walked into the shot. And then the camera walked from Jamie Little up to them. Oh, interesting! Almost like a, a tracking shot in a film. That's which interesting. Which made me think that you know they're doing things. I I, I think that uh, I like what they're doing. Also, this is a very small thing. And I didn't watch. I had to get. It took till seven o'clock for the race to be over. So I had to start doing my stuff. I didn't
1: have enough equipment and people to do anything any different.
2: <laughs> well, I think that's true. But sometimes that you it, you it uh it forces. It makes
1: for better. It makes for a better um
2: experience. Yeah. Uh, uh,
1: yeah. You know, no, I mean, whatever you want to. I mean, it. in
2: my game, everybody likes to complain about the FCC. I want to be able to say whatever I want to say, or but yeah. my, I'm I've always them
1: to go in a circle around the driver, like you see on TV on all of these shows. Yeah, where, yeah. You, where the camera goes in a circle around the car or around yeah. the driver. or people. I'm yeah, waiting for that one.
2: Yeah, I mean it's scarcity sometimes. That'll make me
1: drunk yeah. as a scum.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the FCC stuff to me, people complain about it, but I think you know it forces me to, to be more u- creative be more yeah. creative to use the language to not uh, to not crutch out on uh, cursing which I, is
0: usually a crutch I saw a stand up comedy show at City Winery uh, back on the week of Valentine's Day and it was done by the Singles Ministry the church I go to right. Buckhead Church and the headliner was Pastor Andy Stanley's yeah. son and you're going okay I, I've right. never seen him do stand up but obviously, even the secular comedians that they brought in, yeah, well, they, they knew, they, yeah. they knew, like, okay, I can't drop f bombs here. I mean, they, right. they would tell edgy jokes, but they bring mm-hmm. it. And I thought it made it way better. Not sure. to say that I'm offended when I hear bad mm-hmm. language of comedy, but it forces but it,
2: people into another spot it, where they have to It forces you to actually
0: have a better joke instead of just saying, "Can you believe this? Yeah. What the it, yeah. It's it's. Yeah. I agree with you on that, and, and I think with and, and I want to get deeper on the TV coverage a little bit later. But it and sometimes to me, just how the sport is covered and how the drivers act, and I know all the reasons why. And we've talked about personality so much i just saw something different in this f1 documentary that i had never right. seen from f1 before and i thought there maybe be maybe could be some lessons well i would
2: i would say to you that the coverage of f1 is is not like that though no the coverage no, of it's f1 very is pretty much standard up. very standard
0: but even th- but even there we've seen benefits right. in that coverage they go back through the field because they only have 20 cars and they could talk right. about a battle an overtake for 17th mm. because a hundred million dollar sponsorship is on the line yeah. of 17th there And it just started making me think about... uh, Also,
2: there's only seven passes a race, so it's always always news. (laughs) Yes, they are missing. I
0: I am not. Dan is probably rolling his eyes. There is a lot to be left desired for F1. How did you know that? Uh, (laughs) No, you watch Formula One differently.
2: I'm not looking for stock car racing with Formula One. It's a a different different game.
0: It's a a really man-versus-track situation. And another thing, too, in the open-wheel world, IndyCar opened up its season yesterday, and Felix Rosenquist... Finished in the top five for Chip Ganassi Racing. And I did not know that they had a new driver, and I had no idea what this was. There's a great is that column.
1: Rosenquist and Gildenstern. Stern. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that also,
0: he's from uh, Sweden. Look at that. that. was very good, That's
1: by a the
2: way. Shakespearean Little, reference from Dawsonville that's right a, there.
1: What's that? Is that Hamlet, uh, I believe? Uh, or
0: it Rose... is, it's Hamlet. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but it is last. He's from Sweden, and it's Rosenquist, Q-V-I-S-T, at the end there. That's so the you know. real deal. But uh, Nate Ryan they did a good...
1: spell either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: we're just we're all highbrow and whatnot today so but uh but there's
1: f1 and n1 and uh, wine and cheese crowd <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: yo know, dan you're knocking me down man i love this i'm <laughs> sorry i mean but uh Rene ryan did a good After profile on this I guy today
1: in response to something i i hadn't got that mental image out of my
0: mind yet either which Oh, one? oh <laughs> when in oh, our group text today when dan said uh, he was able oh, to do the podcast oh, yeah. i sent a picture yeah. of a fat guy dancing yeah. that's right yeah is, is that oh, discriminatory no, exactly. like am i gonna get in trouble or? you're fat shaming yeah i'm fat shaming yeah but anyway this guy the, the, the drivers are universally the ones that have been taught to in this piece that nate ryan did for nbc sports are saying this guy is legit he's 27 years old he has formula e wins he won something like 13 races and won oh, formula three that,
2: season that may be where i know his name from. Yeah, yeah i watched a couple of formula e races
0: he's not a total unknown in this world at all but i had never heard of him because i don't follow open wheel racing very deeply and so there's just a good profile i'm going to put that up in our five to go racing facebook page it's just a new face in indycar to huh. join joseph newgarden and simon Pagano and the people that are becoming the new guard that and that's sport of guys what's the difference maybe between the new guard and indycar and a nascar as the new guard seems to be winning quite uh, a yeah, lot more that. Simon Paginot's championship uh, Rosequist just had his first race you think about and you put him in some good equipment he goes out immediately wins a Penske championship
2: how's that series doing though I feel like they would die for NASCAR's TV
1: Oh right, exactly. Even
2: while, while we complain we, about it,
0: we you know, right, and they're, 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 they're would, not
2: what they used to be. I think Indy would love to have what they what NASCAR has now. Why don't they just sport? hire
1: Darrell and then they'd have it? Nah. Oh,
0: gosh. So so Dan is just begging we get back to NASCAR. So let's do that. Hey, so what did you all think? So let's let's refresh here, reset the Phoenix rules package. So we didn't hear as much about the package this weekend because there was nothing different that we hadn't seen. The difference was, is th- believe it or not, this race had more horsepower than Atlanta and Vegas because they had they had the 750 horsepower package in the short track race cars, which are Phoenix and smaller, essentially Phoenix and Dover and smaller. They still had high downforce and high drag. So the big splitters and the big spoilers. So did you all think that this Phoenix race unfolded much differently from any others? Did, was it any better? Was it any worse? What was left to be desired? How do you unpack the thing? The race, by the way, the Kyle Busch won.
2: Uh, well, I mean, I, there were differences for the – the
1: Yeah,
2: <laughs> There were differences. Uh, it seemed to me like whatever this package was, Jimmy Johnson was able to work with it because he didn't have a great car and uh, they used strategy to get up in the top five and he was able to keep himself up in the top ten. I don't know where he finished. Did he finish like 12th or – Okay. So he was able to keep himself up there and I could tell he was driving his he was driving above the car, which is what Jimmy Johnson I got I got a ray of hope watching Jimmy Johnson thinking, "Okay, if you give him something that he can drive and he can and he can put his skills into effect, he can do something with that because most I think an awful lot of drivers would have fallen out of the top 10 pretty quickly put in that situation. The cars around him were obviously better and on four tires and things like so it's nice to see that At least, because I guess because of that horsepower that you're taking into the turns, he was able to... Kind of use his way of driving right. effectively again, so I don't know if it says anything about the Jimmy Johnson program once we go back to the mile and a half. So I suspect maybe it won't, but it was at least a package that l- looking through Jimmy, somebody who I understand their driving style, I could see that maybe the drivers perhaps would have liked it a bit more than what they've had because you can use your foot and hands to do some some damage out there
0: oh so the top ten and I, then I got a question for you, Dan were Kyle Bush. Just hear this top 10 and then think about, it. we like going to short tracks or so we wanted this new package to shake up the running order a little bit. Top 10 were Kyle Busch, Martin Truex Jr., Ryan Blaney, Eric Almirola, Denny Hamlin, Kyle Larson was sixth, Kurt Busch, Jimmy Johnson, Kevin Harvick, Joey Logano. By the way, Harvick, not a factor all day. Yeah. They tried some wacky pit strategy at the end and eventually got up to eighth, but they were just back of top 10 all day. Dan, this package that they ran at Phoenix, 750 horsepower, but still had a tapered spacer, very similar to what we've seen the past several years, by the way. So, Dan, if if I'm a driver and I've got a race car with 550 horsepower and 750, each one has a tapered spacer, does what Eric's saying about giving drivability back to the driver come more into play because they have that 200 extra here at Phoenix?
1: Well, you know it does because you look at the horsepower when when you throw the horsepower On a short track, you're able to light up the rear tires. You're able to break the car loose coming off the corners easier. You're able to use that horsepower coming off the corner to pace whoever's in front of you. Obviously the horsepower is better as far as that's concerned. Would it have made a difference? I don't know, because when you look at the outcomes of the races where they've only had 550 horse how big a difference did that make in the finish of the race? And well, it I did don't for Jimmy it Johnson.
0: <laughs> it did for Jimmy Johnson, and those were different kinds of tracks. But Johnson was in top ten. Yeah, but contention you've got to look at
1: all of the deal with Hendrick. You you you've got to look at that whole program. And 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 I was just looking at the finishing order here, and you know you've got Kyle Busch and Truex one and two. Okay, so you've got setups that probably are close to similar. Are the same on those two cars, then you've got two Fords. You've got Blaney and Almarola. Okay, were their setups close together? And does that have anything to do with it at all? And then you've got a grouping of three Chevrolets followed by a grouping of five Fords. That's true. Were the setups to where that those were what made the difference instead of the the Spacer plate, the horsepower, whatever you want to do. Yeah, right. It, it,
0: um, well, and I was just going to say the Hendrick cars all ran better. Even William Byron, who uh, who had some issues there and, and was off pit sequence trying to get some strategy with Chad Knauss there. And Alex Bowman cut a tire two different times and crashed, but he was up there running top 10, top 15. And Chase Elliott was the best of the whole bunch. Remember, he jumped the start on the, yeah. start of the front of the race because Ryan Blaney, the pole sitter, spun his tires. Elliott had to do a pass through penalty, spent all day coming back from that, and was still able to get a respectable finish he faded to 14th at the end I think they yeah. were trying some different stuff the the Hendrick all ran better despite what the results show as showed.
2: far as the cars being set up I would say I don't know about the others but I think there was a big difference between the setups at least the way they were running I don't know about the setups between Truex and Kyle because uh, Truex they were saying all day long and it turned out to be true had a great long, long run, run car that yeah. took forever to come in 20 20 more than 20 laps and he gained most of his his stuff at the end in that long uh, green run deal at the end. yes, and and was the best car on the track, I guess, because uh, they although there were a couple of cautions there toward the end,, well, which he probably it, used to his on advantage. the last
0: run, he got behind by about six or seven seconds to Kyle to eventually Kyle Bush, the leader. But Ryan Blaney was in a fuel strategy mode to yeah. gain lost track position. Right. And so he had to start saving, and Bush caught him. And as soon as Bush caught Ryan Blaney, his crew chief, uh, J- uh, Jimmy Bullins, was going, save, 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 right. save. And so Blaney gave up the position yeah. to Truex. But, I mean, didn't just Truex
2: to, uh, pass seven or eight cars in that last run? I think Did, so, he? He yeah. Went he went he from, lost, like, seventh or yeah. eighth to second in yeah. the end, didn't and he? And
0: I want to say as a driver, Might Martin Truex so. Jr., and I noticed this at Vegas, is not good at this whole – you-know-what-to-the-wall restart thing. He's a very consistent and not-putting-the-fender-to-people kind of person. You know, he doesn't mm-hmm. take risks that he thinks are going to put him out of it, and he struggled because he had a bad starting position in Vegas. He struggled getting through traffic, and it took long runs for the smoothness that he's known for to really show yeah. itself, and and this in a microcosm was true Sunday.
2: Well, I mean, with what he was doing, he may have had a chance to win the race had we not had those we had like three or four late cautions, right? Right. So packing people together. Ryan,
0: Ryan Priest cut a tire, hit the wall, and then or he got loose on a restart, hit the wall, and then the repair cut a tire. So that was two cautions. Alex Bowman's day consisted of two cautions mm. as well. And then you had Michael McDowell's throttle get hung. And boy, is that not a tease for later. We need to talk about him. But, <laughs> but we had Michael McDowell's throttle get hung on a restart, and he not only hit the wall, but, but as he was slowing, trying to he was trying to do something. He was trying to jam on the brakes. David Reagan, his teammate, ran into the back of him. So uh, so those were really the... I think
2: what he was trying to do was not hit the wall.
0: Yes, he was trying to... (laughs) Those all happened within the last half of the race.
2: Okay. Yeah. So So if you would have had a clean run, I think you would have gotten more... You would have had a real race there at the end.
0: Right. I I still think that Kyle Bush was also dialing it back. He knew Mm -hmm. they told him, manage the gap, just do your thing. But Kyle Bush won. He also won Saturday's race. No surprise. It's it's hard to get excited about Kyle Bush Xfinity wins, but he's got almost a hundred of them now he's That'd got like
1: captain herb excited it, oh it would <laughs> it make
0: it, it may make, it makes my, my buddy joseph really excited too who i watch a lot of races with he gets so mad about kyle bush really winning well, Xfinity that's truck races that's he good. gets so mad i mean just the whole time i have to calm him down i'm like god just just yeah. chill it's you know but <laughs> it, it brings us to to the discussion here we started to have before we hit record today I, I think that Kyle Bush achieving 200 wins and doing so at the crisp age of 33. He's which not there yet, 199. He's at, he's at 199, but the idea that he's probably going to achieve that very soon, he turns 34 in May, I believe, is, is great. I mean, it's it, achieving 50, 100 in, in any series but I'm tired of this comparison to Richard Petty. Petty had 200 wins in the Grand National Winston Cup Series, all right? And so I want to unpack this because you all started to kind of grin at me when I brought this up, but are we comparing two things here? I, I, I think that we can't say that he's better than Richard Petty before the story has been written, in my opinion. And I don't think that having the best truck by two seconds over everyone and being the best driver in the best truck is the same as winning 200 Cup races, even though Petty was in a time where it was less competitive. So, Dan, you, you were in the garage with Petty for many years. I want to start with you first. Kyle Busch's eventual 200 versus Richard Petty's 200.
1: Well, let me clue you in on what Richard said about the deal as far as comparing drivers because yeah. he was asked about um, a driver. He was asked about Dale Earnhardt, I believe, senior. And you're you're in this deal to where that you honestly can't compare different decades because the cars are so different. And, and I give respect to each of their own because 200 wins in a cup deal for Richard Petty and seven championships is, is beyond comparison. Right. Um, but you've got to look at the era that it was done in and how many races you ran a weekend. And it, it was in essence running all three divisions because you ran three races a weekend on some weekends so you know, when you look at what's been done, it's quite remarkable for both for both drivers, and the fact that they've been able to accomplish this is a feat of its own, and deserves the recognition both drivers for what they've done.
0: And so, I, I do want to clarify. I think that what Kyle Busch has done is remarkable. I, I do. Yeah. I just. Yeah. I just when <laughs> when you compare it to yeah. bits of greatest of all times, I mean Kyle Busch even said they asked him at Victory Lane yesterday hey, you know, you're still – I mean, you're only 33. What's the goal for your career as far as wins? And he's like, well, why not say 100? Now, if Kyle Bush achieves 100 wins or maybe even 105 it gets past David Pearson – you know, that's its own thing. To me, bunching all the wins together. Martin had 50 wins in the Bush mm-hmm. Series, right? Sure. We don't really talk about, oh, Martin had 80 wins. That's almost as many as Daryl Waltrip or whatever. You know, we don't yeah. We don't even bring that discussion up. But since that number 200 is this magical number, Eric. But
2: I agree with, with the, Dan brought something that is, is actually true. They used to run more races. Course, and yeah. mean, at some point, I think that NASCAR was running races on Wednesdays. Uh, yeah. You know, you go back far enough. So uh, it, there, it is somewhat comparable in the sense that it, it is a matter of running that number of races. Yeah, now, it is, but it isn't. It, it is and it isn't. And also, you know, a lot of times uh, everybody couldn't go to every race and Petty got himself to to an awful lot of races. So uh, I wouldn't downplay or overplay either of them. They're different eras in any sport. It's, you know, can you compare with the 70s Steelers, beat the Patriots? It's two different right. eras. But I would say something about uh, Kyle is, uh, I think of the drivers that are around right now, He's most likely to get to a hundred if he's he's oh, going to absolutely. turn thirty four this year, uh, and then he will have clips to Gordon and you know probably Jimmy Johnson and some other you know Dale Earnhardt and uh, so I, I think that it's it's indi- I think the only question really we shouldn't be comparing Petty and and Kyle Busch because we know no. the differences, no. but the real question is. Who's the best driver of our age? The one who has seven uh, championships or Kyle Busch who has done this? Now, that's actually a comparison because they're of the
0: same era. And you have to stratify that discussion because are we talking about who's the best driver right now or the one that's still driving that that ever was while they were driving? So, Jimmy Johnson, if you're talking about 2008 Jimmy Johnson, Mm -hmm. I mean – you're not talking about 2019, Jimmy Johnson. So, so you have to say, is 20 is Kyle Busch's battery of work comparable now to Jimmy Johnson? Who is the best driver, or is it Harvick who has joined a better team later in his career, or whoever? Right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, you know. That's, well, you
2: always have to think about, uh, uh, you know, what team, what's the equipment, all of that sort of stuff. What I would say is that this era is certainly has more parity than, uh, yes. than 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 yep. you know the it 50s sure and does. 60s, you know. So I mean I don't know my if as, as far as I look at at things in the uh, late 40s 50s 60s um I sometimes I think there were races where there were only four or five cars that were competitive, or maybe three or four cars sure. that were competitive. So, But still, to go and do it, you still have to go and you have to win those races. And that's what I would say about Kyle Busch. You're right. He's in really good equipment when you get to the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. He's in equipment that's way above everyone else. I understand that. But you still have to go. You have to strap in. You have to win all of those races. And he's doing it, and no one else
0: is. So what I, what I guess I take umbrage to is, is not what you're saying but is the idea kyle bush 200 and counting is its own record richard petty's 200 is its own record yeah. they're not there's different categories all right it's yeah. a, and that's that's sort of what i so i want to appreciate kyle bush for who he is as a driver and an owner yeah. by the way and championship winner if we're talking xfinity and cup
1: i want you to appreciate to Captain that. Herb wouldn't say that
0: no he didn't like him well, he just didn't like, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 certainly didn't like the winning in the small series. But let's look at, like, I would love to see what that number is. At the end of his career, if that number is, say, 300, that would be amazing. Yeah. That will be absolutely well, what's amazing. Gonna, he's going
2: to be judged, ultimately, by the number of of cup wins, because when we start putting him in the conversation with Petty and Earnhardt, ultimately, we're going to want to know, how many did you win at the same level that they were at? And he's not going to get 200 but, at the cup level. It's
0: impossible now. Don't you know? But he, if he gets to this, 100 media confusion here i mean i did not want to try right. to cut you out just this confusion here where it starts to say, kyle bush wins is 109 the people like in the mainstream i never watch nascar except when i see a headline about the daytona 500 media right. are gonna go kyle bush matches richard petty's 200 wins and click yeah like, but ultimately
2: for, you know what <laughs> i would say ultimately <laughs> i just don't like that's that. a good
0: thing because then they'll be talking about
2: nascar when otherwise they well, wouldn't be. but it's it's misinformation
0: <laughs> well, in my I opinion, mean, that's not. Uh, my, my whole part. thing. Imagine is just not the that. same. We yeah, well, yeah, yeah. You got to get that that's everywhere. everywhere. That's what I'm saying. So, hey, I'm on WSB. I'm going to depend on it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. you know, that's yeah. what I'm PRN. We that's what <laughs> this just tell you the facts. As
1: far as straighten their mm-hmm. butts out. Right? Hey, yeah.
0: You mentioned Captain Herb before. He he talked about Mellish one time in an exchange he had with Neil Boards. So between eight thirty and nine every morning, Captain Herb Emery, who used to be our lead traffic reporter here in Atlanta, for those that don't know, and who used to host a NASCAR show in the traffic one time, Neil Boards was going on, and he was. Bortz was talking about other TV meteorologists that overplay the weather, and how Mellis just tells you the facts. And Captain Herb gets on and goes, "That's right." You see, Mellis just looks at that deal, and he says, "That deal is the deal." <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I like. The, the deal is is Kyle Busch has 199 National Series wins, and we shouldn't dwell on it too much until it's yeah. it's to the end. But I think some
2: people who are <laughs> who are who are old guard are are also maybe using that to sort of discount what he's doing. You're not. No, you're not. No, but I think just, some people are somewhat discounting. And also, what I would say about uh, big, uh, big drivers winning in small series, uh, they also probably had a bigger audience that night. You know, you can have the argument about, you know, should these big drivers, big names cross over and, and do this sort of thing, but if I'm a track promoter— I want Kyle Bush in every race. If I'm a track promoter back when yeah. er- back when Earnhardt Jr. was still racing, I want him in every race because I want butts in the seats.
0: I want him in the race though if
2: well, you know, put him in just, the worst equipment. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that's the thing
0: is it's it's not it's not I want a good race also. And it's yeah. sort of I mean, it's yeah. I'm not saying he shouldn't. I don't even know that I agree with limiting the numbers. I feel like to to limiting the starts that cup drivers could take, I sort of like the idea race wherever you can, whenever you can. But they had to do something because it seemed like Bush was just winning every race all the time, and that's not great. Well, there for, is something
2: you can do. You can beat him.
0: You can beat him, right? Well, that's <laughs> but that's the thing is is people were all this able. artificial stuff with sports. Why
1: don't they do like they do on the short tracks? Whenever you've got a driver that's winning every weekend, just put a bounty on him, and and the <laughs> bounty yes. increases until somebody beats. They him. should. And the incentive Wait. is there to do it.
0: Why not do that in the Xfinity series? And yeah, the seven races that Kyle Busch races every year because he is the statistically one of the greatest drivers in all three series of all time. Right. If you can and beat
1: explain to everybody what a bounty is. Yes.
0: That that would that would be great. We would have our own legalized version of Bounty Gate. Yeah. I mean yeah. The no, Bounty and, isn't to take him out. The bounty, the bounty is beat is him. To beat him yeah. yeah.
1: And you've got it like, yes, that I, I like that. And, and you, you know get what? a bonus. You get bonus money. When you beat the champ, you get bonus yeah. money. But so you- so the incentive would be whatever, you know, you maybe you double the purse for somebody that can mm-hmm. beat Kyle Bush.
2: I think if you talk about the the that kind of dominance in the truck and the Xfinity series, really you'd have to go further than that. You want you wanna even things out, then JGR is not allowed to run a team. I mean, it's, it's the teams. That have the money to put the equipment out there, and then they have the drivers they bring in. They usually also use those same rides to bring up younger talent, right? Well, and then see, I'm okay
0: with it when it's when it's Joe Gibbs and they have Christopher Bell because Bell is using that equipment to prove himself and is running circles around most of the competition, except for. And we'll talk about this another week. Tyler Reddick and Bell versus Reddick is going to be a thing. Just in pure
2: racing, you would probably have better races on the Xfinity level if you didn't have the big teams because racing is always good when uh, when the racing is close. You don't really notice as a fan that equipment isn't as good because yeah. that other equipment isn't out there. All you notice, I mean, some of the best races I ever saw in my life were at Saturday Night Dirt Tracks, and those those that, that was stuff people were building in their backyards. Yeah, yeah. But you didn't have JGR there to walk in with their factory stuff.
0: Well, that, that's true. And, I'm and, not,
2: by the way, I'm not advocating for that, but I'm just saying I don't know that it's just the drivers. It's the equipment.
0: It's, it is it's a polished operation so right. when you put the the people that have been doing it the longest with the most success in that polished equipment it's a recipe for five second wins mm-hmm. yeah it just yeah. is and and kyle bush just toyed with them at, at phoenix there and and i don't have a problem when it happens at cup that's that's where the best of the best are supposed to be so that's that's good yeah, let's of like,
1: go back and you know you were talking about the different eras okay let's let's talk about the petty pearson era when petty was uh, backed by Dodge Plymouth, and then uh, Pearson was backed by Ford. Yeah. Uh, let's go back to the manufacturer mm. wars.
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know if the manufacturers are as interested in that as they used to be.
0: I, no, I think not. that. No. See, I, I don't know, because at the same time, there's you not hear a lot of language. There's not the
2: cars we drive now.
0: Well, there's not. And I think the language that I've heard used coming out of Daytona, where they had a big press conference with the owners and the manufacturer heads, is that the next iteration of race car has got to resemble more what we're running on the street somehow, even if it's a little bit of a ruse. It's got to be something more transferable to the naked eye. And it seems to me that Toyota, more so than Chevy and Ford, is very much interested in whooping butt. They've got uh, four teams now. That's the only four teams they back at the Cup Series, and they put everything behind them. And pick a team any of them are good so four teams plus the Levine team the uh um, right. the Matt DiBenedetto team so yeah. I don't know that yeah. interesting yeah. it's it's it, this we is a circular that, that circle we're in that you know, circular yeah. thing where it's it it doesn't feel right but I, I just I just wanted I wanted to throw that out there I thought it was a discussion worth having and honestly your perspective as I discussed it with both, both of y'all and soak up your perspective it makes mind feel more rounded so that that's good. Okay, so before we get to kind of the main centerpiece I wanted to get to today, I wanted to talk real quick just about what we saw during Friday qualifying. Qualifying this year has been strange because teams have been figuring out the package when to go and when not to go. It seems like it's mostly about momentum because of the power being held back on the cars and by how the aerodynamics have been trimmed out and the second lap is really your go lap more so than the first. And at
2: every track, or is that just unique to certain tracks? Well, so
0: far, it, right. it, that's been the case. I mean, Daytona qualifying is single car. Right. Atlanta and Vegas, it's all about you know getting wound up and then that second lap. Well, at Phoenix, I'm thinking this might be a little more like the traditional group qualifying we've seen. And I didn't get to watch the session, but it seemed like it was a lot of the same, not shenanigans, but the same principles held true. Well,
2: any time the power is being artificially held back, it's going to take you some time to wind up, right?
0: I would think so, yeah. yeah. And not to mention what they're doing with drag and with downforce. So... Daniel Suarez is on his hot lap. Michael McDowell has some sort of miscommunication and pulls up in front of him. So Daniel Suarez t- does not like that and decides to slow way down when that lap is over right in front of McDowell and come make a very harsh entrance to Pitt Road and McDowell almost runs into him. Well, Suarez is still ticked off. Suarez decides to confront McDowell in his pit box afterwards. McDowell is also very heated because he thinks that Suarez has tried to wreck him, which Suarez did not admit to, but it's probably pretty true that he did. And so McDowell, who, let's, let's, guys, what do we know about Michael McDowell? He's kind of the upstanding Christian guy. That's been a big part of his identity, goes up and shoves Suarez. And then Suarez Fol- guys, would you like to take it from here? <laughs> so Yeah, he took him down.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he took them down. I'm always, I'm always tickled when one driver still has his helmet on. By the way, I'd be that guy. Oh yeah. I, I'd be the guy who's not going to get my mug messed up because of this. Uh, but it's, uh, I'm always, I always find those to be the, the fun, funniest fights is when one guy, yeah. one guy's standing there and is, and the other guy's yeah. still got all of his equipment on.
0: McDowell didn't seem to be looking for the fight, Dan. Yeah. It seemed to be Suarez came to look to confront him, and then McDowell's was just, he's like, wait, are you serious? To come to my pit box after trying to wreck me, I don't have time to take this thing off. Time to do business. I mean, so Dan, we we always talk about wanting personality and people fighting, and now we're seeing two guys who seem like two of the more calm guys and happy-go-lucky dudes in the garage, Dan, and 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 they they get it. What is what is this happening during this type of qualifying? NASCAR this time car of better season? take
1: a hard look at what's going on because you've got calm, rational people who are getting all emotional and 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 out of place over this stuff because. The, the game time and the way they've done qualifying and and they've they've essentially set up this scenario by how you've got to do for qualifying to get a good qualifying position is that bad so, or is
0: it good i i don't know it, it we we were kind of going back and forth about qualifying last week you're
1: going to end up you're going to end up wrecking somebody out of this deal before it's over so you know you, we we talked about the heat races and and how effectively you could lose cars or or lose cars. Well, you're gonna come into the same thing if you don't do something different for qualifying. I think they should go back and do something different for qualifying. Let's just have individual qualifying and 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 let's get back to the way it was.
0: But we're talking about it. so it's and because of this. You, I don't know, but I'll bet you ESPN showed it. Oh, sure. Everybody, yeah. yeah. this this comes to racing versus entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. So so I agree. I don't want to see cars get tore up and qualifying, but if every once in a while we got drivers all mad at each other, maybe it spills over on the track Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this fight wasn't mm-hmm. just a shove and a takedown. Then you had Drew Blickensnerver, mm-hmm. McDowell's front row motorsports crew chief, pinning Suarez down on the hood of the 34 car, and mm-hmm. then McDowell's trying to grab the shoe gr- pull his I – mean, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, what are we I talking was, about? Like, I yeah. I'm, I was doing traffic when this so happened. So how do
1: you think this is going to end up when it's all said and done? How is this going to end up?
0: I I think that personally, and then I want, I want you to answer that too, Eric, I think personally we're going to see a situation like what we saw in the 2014 playoffs where Brad Keselowski kept getting in the middle of stuff and poking at people and it all it, it spilled over with him and Kenseth and then just a couple of weeks later at Texas, I mean, Harvick and Gordon were all ticked off at him and there was a Bruja. I just feel like there's going to be this simmering – Thing that builds up, and it's going to happen between maybe unlikely drivers, or maybe between who emerges the top contenders. This guy blocks me too much. This guy does this, and because it's harder to pass now, I just think Eric, someone—it's—we're pinning these cars together to where they're more likely to make a mistake at a crucial moment, which could mean boom.
2: Well, I mean that will just be the latest reason they made mistakes at crucial moments. I mean, hasn't that always? I mean, we used to have more uh, tension between drivers. Uh, and we didn't have this package, so I, I think with those with those two, there were two very different things going on. Michael McDowell knows where he is as a driver. I, I don't. Is he still trying to get better rides? I don't know. He knows where well, he is. He's he seems a, to
0: be extra tense this year. He he scrapped with Joey Logano right. at Atlanta Motor at uh, at Daytona. Right. He and during qualifying at Atlanta, he got up in the way of Martin Truex Jr. and ticked him right. off. And and then but this is so happening so to be so yeah. you see
2: that it's happening. They're all going out at the same time, so the back markers are getting in the way of the guys who think that they can actually go for the pole or get a good get a good spot. But Daniel Suarez, is a different situation here. I think this guy knows that the heat is on. Yeah. He's in good equipment. This is third, fourth season, third, third, fourth at that level?
0: Third, third third full season equipment. Okay, okay.
2: Yeah. Uh, and he's he's in he's in this Stuart Haas equipment. And he knows it's time to and go. And he's
0: just gotten bounced out of a good ride, just really of no making of his own. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, he didn't exactly. He got bounced out just like Logano did. He didn't. Maybe he didn't get enough time. That's what people think. Yes. But now he knows. He's yeah, got, but he realized how
1: unimportant qualifying really is anymore.
2: As far as once the race gets started, you mean?
1: Yeah, because because here you're putting all this pressure on. I I think the pressure is still in the race. I don't think it's in. Mm-hmm. In all, in qualifying, yet yeah, is, but not to the degree, because we all know with these packages, the way they've been playing with them, that it is basically how you finish, not how you mm-hmm. start, because you have the ability to make that up, yeah, and better.
2: I agree with you, but I think that if you're Suarez, you don't want to have to go back to Tony Stewart and to explain why you didn't get around, get out of the first round of qualifying did, did- with, with with equipment that should at least be at the top of the second, right? Right. Now, you don't want to go back and have that conversation. It's a lot easier to have that conversation if you have a confrontation and you make it pretty obvious to your bosses that someone made that happen. That's all from my point of view, and I like it. I like that there's a fire lit under Suarez. I I, I like this. I, I don't think that I'm as— uh, worried about this as maybe a a lot of other people are i like the idea that people feel like they have something to lose now if they're losing things artificially and we'll get into that as things go on then we might want to change it but the, you know look if you if you don't want michael mcdowell getting in the way of some of the a-listers then you got to change the way you qualify because everybody just sits there and waits for the last few minutes and they all go out there together so
0: it's going to happen, and you did see Suarez's quote. One of the maybe best quotes that we'll find at 2019. Oh yeah, he basically put planted
2: I, the flag of the kind of driver he is.
0: I'm the kind of driver that I'm going to give a lot of respect to you always. If you give me respect back, if you don't give me respect, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> I, I mean, so, finally, we, someone yeah. said it. That's yeah. what I'm going back to this whole F1 docu series. They're all like. You know, I'll keep the right you know they, they, that's but there's how more
2: than that what you have to look at is Suarez has been around as mr. nice guy for a couple of years now what he's realizing is he needs a brand well see we I, I've talked about this before the sport needs good guys and I won't say bad guys but bad asses yes and so I think Suarez is like you know what I got to get an identity I've been here two and a half years and if I don't start moving this thing this is something Stenhouse started uh, a, a season or so ago I got to start being noticed out there there i can't just be in this good equipment and be a name that everybody goes past if i'm not winning races i at least people need to know who i am and uh and 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 what i'm saying so and, I, and he don't had don't battery trouble
0: sunday by the way it finished 23rd he was he yeah. wasn't a factor all day anyway so right. I, again he's sort of the he's the Stuart haas car if, if you look at Stuart haas as an organization last year versus this year just based on results the the teams were closer last year mm-hmm. you would have thought that eric alvarola would have been the guy trailing last mm-hmm. year and he managed to stay right up in the thick and suarez is a little bit behind what the 41 was doing last season so okay what one last thing i want to touch on here real quick is we've talked about the package the personnel all these different things to change the sport and i, I just want to bring up now because of the schedule talk is on the horizon the idea that <laughs> we talk about, okay, the package wasn't the magic potion to make everybody race in this giant pack and have passing all the time at, at Vegas or at Atlanta, and even at Phoenix, it didn't seem to produce more passing, the the yeah. high drag and downforce. Do you think, what, what kind of concerted effort, I, I posit, as a lot of people do, that we need to be on less bigger tracks because the engineering is such mm. that you just don't put on great racing when the cars are highly engineered? in general. We see that at F1, frankly. <laughs> if they had a more rudimentary race car, they might, might, there might be some more confrontation. So do you think, guys, that mechanically over the next few years NASCAR could work in smaller tracks? And do you think it's possible to make smaller tracks after the bigger tracks? I want to start with you, Dan, essentially because you managed Gresson the year before they started running the quarter mile there on a regular basis.
1: You know, I would love to see them come back and start running more short tracks. I think it does ultimately what you've not been able to do on the larger tracks, but definitely a blend, a mix. Uh, we need, we need all the above. We need short tracks. We need medium. We need long tracks. We need road course. You need that variety. And um, obviously it got into the cookie cutter mile and a hives for a long time and I think we lost some of what NASCAR's roots were and some of the excitement of how it started.
2: Yeah, I'd like to see more variety, and I'd like to see it sooner, earlier in the season. We don't get to our first uh, uh, road course usually until... Until June. So they're about to the baton handoff from one network to the other. That's right, yeah, the latent... Yeah, yeah. so so I would like to see... I I was thinking about this yesterday. Right now, there seems to be a little more, uh, I would say, energy and excitement in places like Phoenix. Now I know this we're not talking about the track. I'm just saying I think that we should do Daytona obviously as the first race, but I would I'd jump out west immediately. I, I would go because there's excitement out there. I'd also mix in short tracks and I'd get a road course in there in the first six races.
0: Well and we did see a rumor last week from Adam Stern at Sports Business Journal and I reached out to Atlanta Motors Speedway about this, and kind of got a well, you know, as much as I do, answer back, but that they're kicking around the idea of having the West Coast Swing come right after Daytona, so the Atlanta race is at the end of March, early April. Well, I mean, and that's nothing I, I official. That's just I, a rumor. I haven't seen that. But Stern's was, rumors are usually pretty right. Yeah, I
2: haven't <laughs> seen that, but I was I was thinking about it because of energy. right now, it's possible that stock car racing in the Southeast is a bit saturated. It's it's been part of the culture for so long that maybe you've got more people who are somewhat blase about it. Uh, NASCAR is still new in the West. As far as that goes, and so you can get a little more energy going now. But also, we're talking about types of tracks. Doesn't do you any good to jump to California immediately. Uh, so I think Phoenix is a, is an interesting track. I would I, I would get out of the southeast quickly, then come back to the southeast after you've got some narratives going. You've got and get people excited rather right. than oh, it's just time to go do this thing again. Have some storylines going on by the time you really come back to the southeast. I'd do something along those lines. Absolutely.
0: I, there to me, there is something exciting about and i'm taking the weather out of this there is something exciting about atlanta just being an atlanta native just just like both of you are from that that live here in this market about atlanta being the the first start to the regular season yeah but then as soon as we say that then we go well atlanta's a unicorn because the tire wear is so much it would would almost be nice to have phoenix or vegas you know vegas is the first track in the playoffs why not be the first track of the regular 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 yeah. Outside of Daytona season too, and and then go to Phoenix or or vice versa. Yeah.
2: It's, got, it's got to be a, a a little bit of both. I just think that if you jump out there early, you're going to get that energy. And uh, but yeah, I think in that first the first six races, we should see
0: every kind of racing. Absol- we should see yeah. it, the Daytona thing's going to be there. We, we should go to see Sonoma it. and Mar. I mean, I don't know what the weather's like in that area. It's California, this, it's yeah. fine.
2: You know, it's, it's everything fine. is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, little... but I
1: would love to see them build a or run on a track somewhere out west, California. Uh, whether it be, um, Vegas or somewhere in there where it's a high mile track. Yeah. They've not seen any of the short track racing at this level to this degree, they've not been exposed to what we've been exposed to in the South. We've been very blessed to have all these cars run on these short tracks in the South. And, and that's where a lot of the excitement comes from. And I think that you could do away with your horsepower packages if you run on the smaller tracks you could run a 550 horse and put on a great show and have have just as good a show as you could anywhere else.
0: It'd be it'd be nice to see for sure. I I do you think guys I, the last question I want to ask you and again I'll start with you Dan. So you remember the so Dan you, you were at Gresham Motorsports Park and here in Northeast Georgia up through the 2013 season and then in 2014 the last year it was open they moved a couple of the smaller divisions onto the quarter mile track there instead of the half mile track. Do you think it's possible Just like the Roval has been done at Charlotte to repurpose. Like if you go to a mile and a half Vegas in March, that you could run a Vegas short track. I know Vegas has its own short track there, but I'm saying in the main track place where it's built for NASCAR, repurpose mile and a halves to run in front of the same grandstands, which are only on the front straightaway now, and be right there. Is that that something that's even worth exploring at all?
1: Well, you know, it's worth exploring, and I think it'd be very possible to do. And I think it would just bring a different aspect to the whole thing and whether or not you would have drivers that would be open to this or not, obviously if you, if you ran a race and did that, they'd have to, but, um, I know as you well know, the drivers that ran the quarter mile versus a half mile at Gresham didn't want to run on the quarter mile, but it would give the fans, (laughs) I think a lot better show if you ran a smaller track which you've got tracks out there anyway that are smaller tracks anyway try one see how it works out yeah.
2: and also there's always everybody laughs but uh dirt
0: one one race yep. a year i i'm all about it you know i i think they absolutely should might as well go to eldora if they've already got it yeah. suited up for trucks and, and you know what? If you can only hold 20,000 fans, so Fine. be it. Fine. It's 20,000. The grandstands are full. Watch it on TV. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm all sorry. So, okay, so NASCAR, I know all of you in NASCAR that run the sport are listening right now. Yes, know that you it. have three proponents of radical changes, but we're also optimistic about what we have now. Okay? I think so. We're not I've, curmudgeons here. I,
2: I have to, I'm, I'm trying to temper myself this year because I do sense that they are trying.
0: To shake things up they are i do sense they, finally that they you're recognize right it's not just a sense they are yeah
2: there's a, <laughs> they recognize that the things have to change and they're they're doing it everything has to be done incrementally and uh, no i mean you got this idea from what i was reading i thought every race under these packages was going to be daytona talladega no matter what track they went it, to yeah. it hasn't it, it hasn't turned out to be like that but there are good restarts uh, they got to work on it a little more. Um, but you know what? It's up to the owners and the drivers, too, to put on a great show. It's not just up to the the governing body.
0: Uh, that's for sure. All right, any parting shots for you, Dan?
1: No, not really. I'm, I'm still kind of optimistic, as y'all are, on where we're going this season and what we're going to see. And, um, you know, I, I look at the finishing order for Phoenix and um, see different names – high on the leaderboard here so we we've, we've got a pretty good mix of people that are running pretty good this season we've got glimpses of a lot of different people running good so uh, i'm really optimistic on where we're going
0: yeah for sure I, I still feel like the energy is good phoenix didn't put on an amazing race but it wasn't won by 17 seconds by kevin harvick or something either it, was, it seemed like a pretty had, average we, phoenix race we had to watch kyle harvick. earn what we knew he was going to get yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's it you know what fine that's yeah. it <laughs> what about you eric anything last to say there
2: uh no the last thing i just said i'll use that as the as the as the parting shot i, I want to be somewhat optimistic i want to say i appreciate the fact that they're they're tweaking it and they're trying and uh, we'll see it's a it's a difficult problem that nascar is in right now i felt in the last couple of years that they were ignoring that i don't feel like that anymore and now we'll see you know how well they do
0: There there does come a point where you feel like, okay, everybody's against us. that these people just don't know what they're talking about. We're going to dig our heels in because we've got this. It is, anybody that is, that criticizes the sport right now, looks like they fit a stereotype of people that criticize everything and it kind of, so go, oh, that's just social media. Oh, you always have your haters. I always have my haters. <laughs> and, and I think they've realized, okay, look, we're looking at the numbers here. they yeah. <laughs> This isn't just made up. So yeah. I think when, and the drivers are outspoken, it seems like a little more about how things should be and. I'm just. I'm hoping yeah. they continue that unvarnished deal that we've yeah. talked about in the, last week and before with Bubba Wallace and Ryan Blaney and and they could just people could just show that personality and and I don't know maybe for once Dan's rolling his eyes again take a lesson from what F1 did that documentary that was well
2: pretty by good. the way
1: but, uh, <laughs> it was it was I a good documentary well I
2: haven't seen it yet so I'll 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 have to watch it I but you
1: know I was rolling my eyes yes just, yes <laughs> so so now we're off to auto club is that right we're going to auto club auto club
0: speedway so we'll be back to 550 horsepower front aero ducks i believe yes and it, it's got old pavement as well so you've got the tire wear factor that's more of an issue than it was at phoenix or vegas mm-hmm. it's more like atlanta and you can run about five wide there sometimes. Yeah. So, that's right, fun. So, who's
1: op- who's going to open up a can of whoop ice after qualifying?
0: Kyle Busch, excuse me. I mean, <laughs> I think Bush again. and Truex are my guys, with you know, with, with some Penske mixed in, too. I think, yeah, Penske. No, I'm
1: talking about qualifying. Oh. What? what? What kind of whoop bass? Oh, I you think mean, it's
0: going to be Matt Tift and <laughs> BJ McLeod, and no. McLeod's going to pound him into the ground. It's got
2: to be. It's got to be one from each camp. So you got to have an A-lister versus a backmarker.
0: Uh, uh, you know mm-hmm. what was interesting? Well,
1: did I say you got famous in racing? If you're not famous in racing, run over somebody that is. That's that's that. <laughs> there yeah.
0: you go. Well, that's it. The Dan Elliott School of Publicity, right there. Okay, folks. Well, thanks so much for joining us here. Be sure to check us out on Facebook. We put our new episodes on there. We also sometimes I'll post an article, and it's fun to get discussions with fans and whatnot. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on WSBradio.com and goprn.com. Each week we try to get these uploaded Monday or Tuesday. So for Eric Von Hessler, who is deep in contemplative thought right now, yes. and Dan Elliott, who is deep in well, I don't even want to know, I'm Doug Turnbull, and we'll see you after Auto Club Speedway in California. Save big money on your outdoor project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth
2: so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape.